Hey, it's the North Shore Vineyard Church audio podcast. I'm Crispin Schroeder, pastor of North Shore Vineyard. Today's message is part five in our series on the Gospel of John that we've been going through for the last few weeks. Today's message is entitled Stepping into a Larger Story. Today we're going to be looking at the first disciples that John records that said yes to Jesus to follow him. And we're going to notice something about the first followers of Jesus that is true for anyone in the stories that we celebrate, whether movies or literature from the Bible or in modern times. The protagonist always has to leave their comfort zone and step into something that is bigger than them. And that's precisely what we're going to notice about the disciples today as they step out to follow the king into his kingdom ministry. This is great stuff we're looking at today. I hope you will be challenged and encouraged by it. So let's head over to the talk, North Shore Vineyard in downtown Covington. Thanks for listening. John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day, John the Baptist was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, Look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What do you want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and, had fo- and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, We have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. (laughs) Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said to him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel. And Jesus said, You believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. He then added, Verily, very truly, I say to you, you will see heaven open and the angel of God, angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It's a lot of stuff to cover today. But today we're looking at the call of the disciples when they choose to step from their story into a larger story. Every one of us faces this in our own lives. We can live in the narrative that our world is pushing on us that is just about, you know, uh, having a good job, having a nice house, having a a car, 1.5 children, uh, five Bibles on your shelf. We can live in that narrative. That's, That's the American dream. Or we can 
step, <laughs> the American nightmare or something, yeah. Or we can step out of that and choose to step into a larger story that's not just about me and my fame and my power and my fortune, a story that's bigger than that. And so to, to kind of set the idea this morning, <clears throat> before we look at the disciples, I want to watch a movie today. Well, it's not a movie. It's just a clip from a movie. But how many of y'all remember the movie Jerry Maguire? Anybody seen that one? Show me the money. That's what the guys remember. The women remember, you complete me. You had me at hello. <laughs> uh, Jerry, I'm gonna, Jerry Maguire is, is, is a great kind of modern story that, that really has some interesting elements in it. Uh, and forgive me that it has Tom Cruise in it. Uh, but uh, don't hold that against the story. Jerry Maguire, played by Tom Cruise, is <clears throat> a sports agent, and he works with a, a sports agency, a large one, and he decides that he's kind of losing his soul in the business. He's losing his passion, that the, the business that he once signed up for, it's, it's, it's really losing its values, and it's, it's kind of lost, and so he decides to write up this manifesto and, and decides to step out of the big agency and go at it alone. And Renee Zellwinger, his, his assistant, decides to follow him into this. And, and so he, he decides to launch this to be a different kind of sports agent. Now, when he launches out on his own, there's one guy, one, one client that he wants to land. Now, this guy's a college football player that is going to be in the first round draft pick. And, and it looks like he's going to play for the Denver Broncos or somebody like that. And so he, he goes there to meet with this guy and his dad. And that's where this scene picks up. No, I don't do contracts. But what you do have is my word. And it's stronger than oak. How many people we got to like that like singing in your cars? Yes, yes. <laughs> now, to to put this scene in in so you so you can understand what's going on here. Have you ever had one of those moments where something great happens and you you're in your car, you're kind of in his shoes. It's like yes, and I gotta find a song that matches what I'm feeling, and you start going through the radio stations like. Rolling Stones, ah, it doesn't work. This depressing country song, no, I'm not feeling that one. Ah, Tom Petty, that does it for me all the time, Tom Petty. But what's brilliant about this scene is the words free falling. Tom Petty begins singing, I'm free, free falling. And that term right there, free falling, what does it mean? It means to be kind of falling through the air. But at that moment, he's not thinking about the falling part. He's thinking about free. I finally stepped out on my own. I'm finally doing my own business. And now I've landed a big fish. 
My business is set. The commissions from this one guy alone, that the little guy, the guy he was shaking hands with, that was the, the guy's father. And so he's, he said, my word's stronger than oak. And so he doesn't make him sign a contract because part of why he left the whole, you know, big agency thing is it had become depersonalized. It became all about business and all that stuff. He was going to do it a different way. And so he shakes the guy's hand. He's singing free fallen. But what's beautiful about this scene is that while he's singing the free part, shortly he's going to be singing the fallen part. <laughs> right now he's talking about free <laughs> fallen. Next time he's going to understand about the falling, the feeling like everything is coming out from under you. Have you ever felt like that before? The feeling like all your plans, all the great, brilliant things that you had, all the success, all of a sudden the rug is being pulled out from under you. The wind is being knocked out of your sails, and you didn't see where it's coming from. He finds out shortly after this scene that that guy who, who shook his hand and said, my word is stronger than oak. <laughs> well, another agent found him and talked him into signing with him. And so all of Jerry Maguire's plans for, for launching his business, now they begin to... to come crashing down. He's free-falling. Now, I, I wanted to, to share this story because I believe it's just a, it's an easy story for us to see. What happens when we step out of a small story into a much larger story? See, every good story, I don't care if it's a story in the Bible or if it's a movie. I mean, you can see this from chick flicks to movies like Braveheart and Gladiator and of course, Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. Uh, you can see that, that every great movie that we like involves a protagonist, a hero, who has to leave what's comfortable. He has to step away from the safety of what has surrounded him. He's got to step into something bigger. And oftentimes, the hero steps out thinking he's going to fight one thing, and then he finds a greater enemy... He finds a bigger love. He finds a greater value than he had ever imagined. We find the stories, the, the epic stories that, that we love to revisit every time again. Even at Christmas, what's the one with uh, uh, It's a Wonderful Life? I mean, that's a great one. You know, uh, what's his name? Yeah. What's his name in the movie? Bailey? Uh, George Bailey. Uh, George Bailey in that movie, he's, he's, he has to step away from some things, even if he doesn't leave his town, and that's kind of the paradox there. But every one of these characters, what, what is interesting is they, they change. They go through suffering, trial, and all this stuff, and their horizon is widened. They get a deeper sense of love and meaning. And the hero at the end of the story, whether it's George Bailey or whether it's Jerry Maguire or whether it's Marlon, Nemo's father in Finding Nemo, <laughs> every one of them comes away at the end as a different person. And I wanted to say that because I, I believe that, that we're at that point in the story where the first followers of Jesus or having to step out of their own small story. You know, for, for many of these disciples, they were fishermen. I mean, that was their life. The story they were living in was just about fishing, making a living, catching fish, and hopefully the business will grow. And that was the world they were living in. All of a sudden, they step out of that story to follow the king. Now, I want to look at a couple of the a few of the characters that are mentioned in this uh, these passages that we looked at. We, the first two two people in this 
reading that decide to follow Jesus are Andrew and somebody else. <laughs> we don't know. A lot of people think it was actually John, the, the guy who wrote the Gospel of John. It doesn't say here. Uh, probably John. But Andrew, at this point, he, he was probably a teenager, and he's one of these early adopters. You know, the, the early adopters in, in our world, a lot of times they're teenagers, but uh, you know, the people that go and, and camp out in front of the Apple store when the iPhones come out, they're the early adopters. You know, like most of us, it takes a few years to get it, you know, but uh, some people are like, yes, I'm in. You don't have to talk them into it. They will just jump on. You know some people like that? Maybe you're like that. You know, like you don't need any convincing. When you hear of a good thing, you just jump right in. Well, that's Andrew. Andrew and, and this other disciple, they, they were working in John's ministry, John the Baptist's ministry. They were following him. And then, like we talked about last week, John the Baptist says, Behold the Lamb of God. And they said, Lamb of God, that's the guy you've been talking about. See you later, John. We're going to follow him. And so they just, they literally start following Jesus. This is kind of a funny passage because they're following Jesus and Jesus is like, what are y'all doing? <laughs> We're following you. <laughs> where, where, do you. where do you stay? Where do you live? And, and Jesus says, come and see. And so they spend the day with Jesus. And obviously out of that afternoon with Jesus, they're convinced that this is, we're, we're throwing our lives in here. Now, I think most of us probably aren't like those two characters. Most of us uh, probably need a little bit more convincing in our journey. And thank God we've got some other characters in this story as well. Andrew invites his brother Peter, who actually at that time is known as Simon. And when Simon comes to Jesus, what does Jesus tell him? Your name is going to be called Rock. That's a good name, right? Rock. Uh, Now, if you know anything about Peter... If you look at him throughout the Gospels, he doesn't look like a rock. <laughs> he he, he kind of, I mean, Peter, Peter ex- experiences highs that no other disciples experience. I mean, Peter's the only guy we know of besides Jesus that walked on water. He was there on the Mount of Transfiguration. Peter was there for the feeding of the 5,000. But Peter was also called Satan by Jesus. Peter also denied Jesus on the night of the cruise. I mean, Peter's just kind of like, the, he's not a rock. He's not a stable, steady person throughout the Gospels. But Jesus called him that because if you follow Jesus, it's going to change you. <laughs> if you come join the work of the king, it's going to leave its mark on your life. You're not going to be the same person. Now, as with Peter... It may take years. Thank God we, we have Peter as an example. I'm so glad. Because <laughs> I got to tell you, I don't, you know, I love John the Baptist. We talked about him last week and, and what we can learn from him. We can learn a lot from John the Baptist, but I can't relate to John the Baptist. I mean, that guy was, he was like crazy, like most of the prophets in the Bible. I mean, ate locust and honey and wore camel hair for, you know, in the middle of the desert. Like, who wears camel hair out in the middle of the desert and eats locusts? I mean, just like off the charts, over the top, crazy. And so I appreciate John the Baptist's message, but it's hard for me to relate to him as a person. But when it comes to Peter, I'm like, yes, that's a guy I can relate to. He often thought more highly of himself than he ought to. His his mouth often had a habit of saying things that that he couldn't back up. (laughs) He you know, he was brash and impulsive. And I'm like, yes, God, thank you for including him <laughs> in your inner circle. There's hope for me. You know, it's interesting when, when, when Jesus first thing changes Peter's name, it, this is very reminiscent about what happens in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, there's a guy named Abram. Abram means father. 
And God says, I'm going to change your name to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. Now, was that because Abraham was already a father of a multitude? No. God changed his name to say, this is what I'm going to do in you. Now, it took Abraham never got to see that multitude. He has one son, <laughs> Isaac. But God is going to fulfill that promise, and he, he does so with Jesus. The name change had to do with God's purposes. And Jesus, the same way with Peter. Peter, you're rock. You're the kind of stuff I'm going to build my church on. Now, it took a few years before that could actually be seen, before Peter started living up to his name. But it had to do with the work of God. I think God looks out among us today. And you may, you may be like Peter. You may be this, this kind of up and down, man, sometimes I'm really, I got all kinds of faith. And then other times I'm like, oh, man, I just, I, I want to quit. Sometimes you may be uh, feeling love and you've got no problem. <laughs> Other times you're just trying your best to get out the door in the morning because you've got so much stuff you're struggling with on the inside. And Jesus looks at you and he says, I'm going to change your name. You're going to be a rock, just like Peter. Because understand, the rock thing, it didn't have to do with Peter's own talents. Peter, he didn't. He didn't have the rock stuff in him. The rock was the work of God as Peter followed Jesus. And finally, we come to Philip and Nathaniel. Philip is another one of these early adopters, and he goes and tells his friend Nathaniel. He said, Nathaniel, we found the one that Moses prophesied about and all the prophets. He's the Messiah. Come and follow him. And what does Nathaniel says? Nazareth. Does anything good come out of Nazareth? It'd be like saying, you know, Laranger or <laughs> Robert. I mean, what comes out of there? I mean, cows, but not, I mean, no world leaders. I mean, no, nothing comes out of that place. Nathaniel's very skeptical. And I, I suspect like Peter, we can, there's people in here that can kind of identify with Nathaniel. Nathaniel's not the type to get caught up in the passing fads. He's probably heard talk before about people who were claiming to be the Messiah. And he probably knew some people that started following him. He's like, dude, I'm not going to follow someone just because everybody's getting excited about him. He's a little bit more skeptical. He's got a little bit more intellectual things. But when he starts walking towards Jesus, what does Jesus say to him? He says, ah, there is a true Israelite in whom there's no deceit, no guile. This guy... He's a straight shooter. You, you, he, he's, he's after the truth. And I tell you, I'm glad that Nathaniel's included in this number because a lot of times we, in the church, we tend to think if, if you don't believe everything the moment we tell it to you, then, you know, pff, you're, you're wrong. And some of us are not early adopters. <laughs> but what's neat is what happens next. Nathaniel, after Jesus says this to me, he's like, well, how do you know that about me? I, I don't even know you. <laughs> and Jesus says, you know, when you, I, I saw you when you were under the fig tree over there. And at that moment of Jesus saying that, he says, whoa, you are the Messiah. You are the king. Now, that little thing may be a little cryptic to you. What's going on here? Well, John doesn't give us the specific details, but obviously Nathaniel was out underneath a fig tree, which is common. I mean, if, you're gonna, if you want shade in the middle of the day in the Middle East, fig trees are about your best option. But Nathaniel was probably out there praying a prayer. God, would you give me a sign? 
You ever prayed that before? Like, God, I mean, really, if you're in this, could you, could you show up? I'm, I'm really having a little help here. God, do you know what I'm going through? He may, have been, he may have been asking questions about even if Jesus was the Messiah. He may have heard th- stuff like that. He's like, God, you know, if this is really, if these people aren't just getting caught up in a, fan, a fad, could you show me? We don't know what he was, what happened underneath that fig tree. But when Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree, all of a sudden Nathaniel meets the Messiah that was looking for him, <laughs> that had already found him before he found Jesus. That's pretty cool. And in that moment, when Jesus says that, all his intellectual arguments are are, are put on the side. Like, he's encountered God. He hasn't necessarily got all his questions answered, but he's had a revelation from God. And this is a theme that we're going to see all throughout the the Gospel of John, that that God reveals himself to people. I don't, you know, as, as a pastor, I don't feel like I've got to talk anybody into following Jesus. You know, we just ran Alpha uh, for... Eight weeks. We just wrapped it up a couple weeks ago. And Alpha was just a, a, a course where we talk about the basics of, of what Christianity is. And it's, it's very low pressure. We don't try to, like, force anybody to believe. And it's, it's really geared towards those who may have questions of, you know, is God real? Is Jesus real? And, but I, I mentioned this a few months ago. On Alpha, I don't, I don't feel like I've got to talk anybody to following Jesus. I feel if you show up to Alpha, God's already at work in your life. And God will reveal to you by the Spirit. He'll confirm what I'm saying. I don't have to close the deal on you. Because if I can talk you into following Jesus, you can be talked out of following Jesus. You know I mean? If it's just, I'm a good communicator, and I, I can talk you, you know, you ever met people that can talk you into anything, and then you kind of have buyer's remorse, you're like, what just happened there in that store? Why did I walk away with, <laughs> with these three things, you know? What we see in the Gospel of John over and over again, we see it right here, is that, that God is already at work in people's lives before they even hear the Gospel. And so when they hear, when they encounter Jesus, it's not an intellectual trying to figure everything out. They, they've already encountered God. We see that with John the Baptist. John the Baptist, what did God tell John the Baptist? He says, the one to whom you see the Spirit of God ascend on or descend on and remain, that's the Messiah. So John the Baptist, it, it, it's not like he had a, sat down and had a talk with Jesus and Jesus laid out all the, the, the proofs for him. No, John was baptizing him and he saw the Spirit of God. He's like, oh, okay, revelation from God. He's the Messiah. That's all I need. <laughs> And I think that this is very important for us in our lives, just to realize the work of that God is already moving in people's lives. And our job is not to close the deal. It's to come alongside what God is doing. God, what are you up to? Nathaniel encountered what God was up to. And he stepped into the work of Jesus. So we've got Andrew, the early adopter. Andrew, Philip, and some other person that are kind of the early adopters. We got Simon, who jumps on in because he's kind of impulsive like that. Leaves his fishing business. And you can find out those details in the Gospel of Matthew. Most of these guys were fishermen. And so they actually left their businesses. And then we've got Nathaniel, who's kind of the skeptic, who gets a revelation from God that Jesus is the Messiah. So those are the characters. Now, the final thing that, that I think is interesting is 
uh, Jesus tells Nathaniel, Nathaniel's like, you are the Messiah. And Jesus said, hey, if you think it's amazing that I just said I saw you underneath the tree, if, if that was like enough to get you <laughs> jumping into this thing, you ain't seen nothing yet. He says, you at some point are going to see the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, does that statement make any sense to you? <laughs> it, it, when I first read it, I'm like, what the heck does angels ascending and descending upon the sun? I mean, like, what does that even mean? Well, when we come across a word like that, we need to do like what we did last week. When you come across the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, that may be a weird phrase to you. We don't just walk around saying, I'm a lamb or <laughs> in our world. We, that's when we need to go back to the, to the Bible and find out where else that used, that's used. And so Jesus was actually making a reference to Genesis 28, 10 through 19. And you can read that later. I'll just sum it up for you right here. Jacob, Abraham had a son named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob. Jacob ends up getting his name changed by God to Israel and becomes the, the kind of patriarch of, of his, his 12 sons become the heads of the 12 tribes of Israel. Just so that's kind of a thing. But before his name is changed to uh, Israel, Jacob was heading from one place to another. It's getting late. He decides to camp out. He gets a rock, makes it a pillow, and he has this dream that night. And he sees this uh, stairway to heaven that Led Zeppelin would, would one day sing about later on. He sees this ladder going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending on it. And he sees God standing next to the ladder. And he wakes up from this dream and he's like, that was not a pizza dream. That was a God dream. Uh, and and, and he, he goes, I surely, and I put the quote in your outline there. He says, how awesome is this place? This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. And he calls, and, and the, the word that, that means that is Bethel. And so he calls that place Bethel. And that became a very important place in Israel, a very holy place, because he had seen this connection between heaven and earth. So Jesus tells Nathaniel, he said, hey, if you think this is cool, at one point you're going to see the angels ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. He was referring to this. Now, up to this point, and I've mentioned this a couple of times recently, that the Jewish people believed there was one place where this angels ascending and descending would, would happen, and that would be the temple. They saw that in the temple of God, where God's presence was, the angels would ascend and descend to heaven. And Jesus is saying, he's making a reference here that they don't fully get at this point in the story, obviously. But he's saying there's coming a day where you're going to see me as the temple of God, as the place that connects heaven and earth, as the gateway to heaven as the dwelling place of God. So right here from the get-go, we see that Jesus is taking their ideas about what the Messiah is, and he's beginning to expand them. Just like the heroes in every great thing, they think they're going out to start a new business or just going out to take a ring to Mordor or going out to fight Darth Vader or whatever. <laughs> they find something bigger. In the process, they find their view expanded. And Jesus, right here as he calls them, he's expanding their view. That you think of me right now, Jesus is, I'm saying, speaking as Jesus, you think of me as the Messiah, but I'm much more than just the king. I'm going to bring you, I'm going to, to, to blow up all your definitions of what you even think a king is. 
Now, I want to backtrack just a little bit just to talk about this term king. Messiah, when you read Messiah, think king because it means the anointed one, the king that, that was prophesied about in the Old Testament. Now, there, it's, it's, it's quite evident if you read the Gospels that Peter and James and John, all these people, when they heard Jesus as talked about as the Messiah, when they believed he was a the Messiah, they believed Messiah meant that he would be the king of Israel. So they, at this point in the story, they don't expect, even when they, uh, Nathaniel uses the term, you're the son of God, it really wasn't so much saying that Jesus was deity. It was more of a phrase that they would use in connection with the Messiah. So he's saying, you're the Messiah, you're the king. But they, they thought of the king at that point not as being God. They thought of the king as being the one who would attack the Romans and set up Jerusalem as it had once been under Solomon and David. They, that was the king they were expecting. So they're kind of following him thinking, we're getting in on this. We're going to get in the cabinet of the king. We're going to be the inner circle of the king. And, and no doubt, I mean, you hear, uh, I think it's James and John's mother later on in, the, in one of the gospels, she said, hey, look, when, when you get this whole kingdom thing going, can my son sit on the left and right in the, in the seat of power? She wasn't thinking of, of like in the hereafter. She's like, when you take over Jerusalem, when you actually, when you actually show up as the Messiah that we've been expecting, can my, my, my kids be in the seat of power? She's just like a, you know, just like a mom, right? Uh, <laughs> Jesus, certainly king, but he's much more of a king than they could have imagined. Have you found that true in your own journey with Christ? I, I, I know, like... When I signed up to follow Jesus years ago, I was at the absolute bottom of my life. I mean, I was, I was depressed, kind of suicidal. I, I, my life was just ruled by addictions, and, and, and I, I, I cried out to the Lord. And at that point, I kind of looked at God as just the one who could forgive me of my sins, and I needed that. And I was kind of just giving Christ a, a try because everything else in my life had failed me. But I didn't realize what I was getting into. <laughs> I, 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 I recognized a little bit. I was a big fan of God's unconditional love and forgiveness and grace. Big fan of that. But I didn't realize what actually following the king meant. And I still ain't figured it all out yet. <laughs> so I want to look at, at, at one thing before we close this morning. I want to look at what the invitation of Jesus is not. I don't know if that's good English grammar. What the invitation of Jesus is not. The invitation, number one, of Jesus is not an invitation to add some correct beliefs and morals to one's already crowded life. I think this is one of the most common beliefs in America. Man, you need to add a little religion to your life, right? You know, I, I find people, a lot of times, they hit, hit their 30s, they start having kids, and like, oh, we need to start going to church, I mean, forget that we haven't gone to church for years, but I think our children need a good dose of religion. I don't know why they do, but I think they need to. You ever known anybody like that? You ever been like that, maybe? <laughs> uh, and the idea is we need to add a little bit of Jesus to our life. We need to add a little bit of morality, a bit of right thinking to our life. That was not the invitation of Jesus. Jesus didn't say, add a little bit of my teachings to your life. Second thing is, it's not an invitation into a life of comfort and prosperity. 
I think one of the most destructive things that I've seen in my life is uh, over the past few decades is, is the prosperity gospel, which has been, it, it's, it's gone out all, all over all the world. And I don't consider it the gospel at all. It's, it's the idea that if you follow Jesus, your life is going to get a lot easier and you're going to get richer and healthier and have wider teeth and fresher breath and people are going to like you. <laughs> Jesus, we see none of that in the invitation of Jesus. Jesus doesn't say, Peter, follow me and you're going to have more boats to catch fish in. Your business is going to go great, Peter. Actually, at one point, Jesus has to tell him after, after Peter's been following him for a while, he's like, look, Peter, there's going to come a day where you're going to have people take you where you don't even want to go. The invitation of the king is not into a life of comfort. Now, I I said last week, as Jesus says in Matthew, seek first the kingdom of God and he'll take care of your needs. But we don't come to Jesus to get our needs taken care of. We come to him because he's the king. (laughs) We'll find our needs taken care of. But the invitation is not into a life of comfort or prosperity. And finally, the invitation is not to have a divine retirement plan. I think this is probably the, the biggest belief in our culture and evangelical churches over the you know the last uh, couple hundred years is that Jesus just came so you can go to heaven when you die. That Jesus just wants to deal with your sins so you can go somewhere else when you die. Does Jesus tell that to any of his disciples? I mean Jesus doesn't even he doesn't use that wording. You know the wording that we tend to use a lot he doesn't he doesn't say Peter, you know if you died tonight where would you go? <laughs> John, Andrew, if you got hit by a fishing boat, (laughs) where would you spend eternity? No, he says, follow me into my work of the kingdom. See, Jesus is about a kingdom. He's the king. And he's about his kingdom coming where? On earth as it is in heaven. Jesus wants to see his, I mean, he told us to pray that way, didn't he? And we see the ministry of Jesus. That's exactly what you see. What does the kingdom of God look like? Well, it looks like people getting healed. It looks like people getting set free from uh, oppression of evil spirits. It looks like people getting fed miraculously. It looks like outsiders who don't have a chance in this world or anything. They don't, you know, like prostitutes, tax collectors, lepers, cynics. Getting in on the good news. Jesus, you know, Jesus, when he celebrated these parties, you know, he, get, he gets talked about all the time because he's hanging around partying with the wrong people. You know what? He was showing the kingdom of God. He wasn't just, you know, looking for something to eat, something to do on a Friday night. <laughs> he was showing the kingdom of God looks like this. The good news is that you guys who aren't scribes or Pharisees or Bible scholars, you guys who don't know how to pray enough or read your Bible, you guys who think you're on the outside of the kingdom, guess what? The kingdom is here. And you get in. Not because you were born in the right race or on the right side of tracks or because your family is rich, but you get in because of me. That's that's good news. That's the invitation of the kingdom, though. He's, he's inviting us into the work of the king. You know, if, if I'm living in the narrative of, you know, the, the main thing that Jesus came to do was to, to take care of my retirement in the afterlife, <laughs> then it really 
it doesn't touch my actual life here because I'm just trying to hang on until I can go somewhere else. I, I know a lot of Christians who do this. Circle the wagons. Just hold on until Jesus rescues us out of here. But Jesus didn't try to hide his disciples away from troubles or trials or anything. He brought them into the work of his kingdom coming on earth as it is in heaven. He was showing that when Jesus, when God becomes king on earth, there's healing, there's restoration, there's reconciliation. People are put back together. And you know what? The invitation of Jesus to each one of us today is to be a part of that work. Where? Some, some bright morning when this life is over? No. No, in your jobs, in your families, in this community. To be a part of the work of the king. You know, this last week I had a retreat, a study retreat. I do every December to kind of catch my breath and, and, and spend some time with God, read and, and plan and pray. And, and I really feel like our, what we're going to wrestle with this next year is what does it mean to be kingdom people? What does it mean to be people who live as if Jesus Christ is king? You know what that means? And Actually, you look at the New Testament. Most of the books that Paul wrote, 1st, 2nd Corinthians, Romans, Philippians, Ephesians, Colossians, all these books, you know what? They were simply one man trying to wrestle with what does it look like for a group of people when Jesus is king. He wasn't trying to invent a whole bunch of new rules or laws or anything. He was just, what does it mean when we live as a group as if Jesus is king? Well, you know what it means? We studied Philippians for six months here. And what, is, what, did, what did Paul say to the Philippian church? He said, consider Jesus who did not, uh, you know, in your, in your attitudes with one another, be like Jesus who didn't treat his being God as something to be exploited. But rather he took the form of a servant, the lowest form. And God has exalted him. What is Paul saying? Jesus is king now. You behave the way he did. And what did Jesus do? He loved his enemies. He blessed those who cursed him. He reached out to those who were on the outside. So this means, in, in a real practical sense, it means that if Mike has an issue with me, he doesn't just get to leave this church and go down the road. I mean, he can do that, but not if he wants to be in the kingdom of God. I mean, you can opt out of the kingdom of God. You can, you can step out of God's rule anytime you want. <laughs> If, if, if Mike wants to live life as a kingdom person, then if he's got a problem with something that I've said or done, he's got to talk to me instead of talking to you. And if I've got a problem with Marsha, I can't go run my mouth to Nicole. <laughs> Dang! <laughs> That, that didn't really happen. <laughs> Dang. Never talking to you about Marsha again. No. <laughs> but this means, as, as kingdom people, if we're seeking to live as Jesus Christ is Lord, then we don't live the way people in your family live or people on your jobs live. We live as people of the kingdom. And we take our relationships with one another seriously. Why? Because the world's not going to know that Jesus is king if we don't do that. 
I mean, it comes down to the way the world finds out. You know, that's why, uh, you know, a lot of people hear sales pitches on Jesus all the time and they're not biting into it because they don't see what a people that, that are living as if Jesus is king looks like. They don't see that. We love one another because Jesus loved us. We speak the truth with one another because Jesus spoke the truth with us. We, 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 we walk in humility with one another because that's what Jesus did. And we are seeking to live as his kingdom people. And we pray for each other and, and, and pray that God heals people. We, you know, we believe in that because we're kingdom people. So I just want to close today by asking, what, what kind of narrative are you living in? What story are you living in? Is it the story of, oh, I just want to, you know, get more stuff, get another promotion? Are you living under the lordship of Jesus Christ? And I'm not, I'm not saying, you know, the, the, the wonderful thing about this, yes, if you follow Jesus, your retirement plan is going to be taken care of. You follow Jesus, he is going to take care of your physical, emotional, spiritual needs. But the main thing, just like with these disciples, they didn't know what they were getting into, but they stepped away from everything. And Jesus is calling you today to step away and me to step away. Where are you holding back? Where are you afraid to step away from your comfort zone and follow Jesus as king? That's all he asks of us. You know, the the interesting thing about Jesus here is he doesn't ask them to have all their beliefs even figured out. He doesn't give them a quiz like, well, do you believe that I'm the son of God? He says, "The the only thing that matters that you need to believe right now is that I'm king and you start following me. You start following me into my kingdom work. And I just want to ask you this morning, where do you need to turn to the Lord? Where do you need to step away from what's comfortable? Where do you need to step away from your small story into a larger story? Because this is serious. Jesus wants to be king of all. And he wants us to be a part of it. Part of his work. I want to invite the band up real quick, and I want us to close again by by singing a song we sang in worship, King of All. And I just ask you this morning, as we sing this song, turn your hearts to the Lord. You know the word repentance. We talked about that recently. John was saying repent. What's it mean? Change your mind. If you've been looking at God as just a divine bellhop there to supply whatever you want, Change your mind about that. See him as king. If you look at at Jesus as just the one who's giving you a divine retirement plan, change your mind and start seeing him as king. If you think that Jesus just wants you to add a little bit of Jesus' morality and teachings to your life, change your mind. Why don't you stand? I'm sick of loving me Filled with emptiness Humble to behold you In your righteousness The only I found 
peace that will endure is when my broken heart is completely yours. towards your kingdom right now, Lord, to step away from, Lord, our own dreams, our own ideas, our own kingdoms, to step into following you into your kingdom. Holy Spirit, I just ask that right now you would convict us, turn our hearts towards the King. to be realigned with your purposes or where we need to repent where we need to change our minds about you God that this morning we could do that so I just want to ask this morning if you're in here and you feel like you need to follow the king you've been going after your own dreams your own things whether you you believe in Jesus or not and have followed him for years this morning you need to return to the Lord just stick up your hand and I just want to pray for you Jesus, I pray the power of the Holy Spirit breaks all the things that hold us, all the things that hold us back, all the things, Lord, whether our own fears, Lord, we invite you to be the King of glory in our lives. Lord, this morning, we step away from what we know. We choose to follow you as our king. Holy Spirit, descend upon our hearts. Empower us 
to follow Jesus today. Empower us to follow the King. In the name of Jesus. Amen. If you'd like someone to pray with you, if you if you prayed that this morning, you want some others to gather around you, we would love to do that. Or if you have any other needs, we believe that God does heal and God sets you free and we would love to gather around you and agree for that this morning. I better shut it down because we got some other people coming in here in a few minutes, but thank y'all for coming. God bless. Follow the King. Bro